Welcome to The Downline, the official podcast for the Association of Diving Contractors International. With ADCI Executive Director Phil Newsom, Board Member Gary Jones, and Commercial Diver Armando Gonzalez. Join us as we dive into the latest news in the dive industry worldwide. Welcome, this is Phil Newsom, Executive Director of ADCI, and welcome to The Downline. This is Episode 8 of Season 2, where our focus will be on engineering diving. So we are very fortunate today to have three representatives from Consor Engineers. And so we've got Colton Powell, we've got uh, Laura Miller, and Akaika Kincaid. So... Uh, first off, I guess I, 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 I'll ask you, tell us a little bit about uh, Consor Engineers and, and what you guys are all about. Yeah, sure thing, Phil. Um, and again, thanks for having us uh, on this podcast. You guys really appreciate it. Um, I know it was a challenge getting here this morning, get set up, but, uh, you know, <laughs> nothing's ever perfect. <laughs> but um, yeah, Consor, Consor started... It was it was a merger of uh, originally four firm four form four firms that uh, came together in 2018. Um, it was uh, infrastructure engineers who was uh, 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 more of a structural inspection firm. Uh, we had about 175 employees. AIA, which is uh, another larger uh, design firm in in Texas. Uh, they had about 300 folks, um, and then two, uh, construction management firms in Florida. And that was our first, our first merger of those first four firms. And then since then, we've, we've, um, uh, absorbed uh, another four, uh, other four firms. And so now we have about 1600, uh, folks, um, across the country. We got about 40 offices, uh, roughly 385 engineers, um, about 175 commercial divers. Um, wow. yeah, US, US, we picked up. So, um, they're, they're a big entity for us, obviously in, in, in the Houston area, right? Um, and so, yeah, you know, concert, we're committed to ADCI and, and the commercial engine, di- engineering diving field and, and commercial diving as a whole. It's one of our main, uh, verticals, we call it. Um, we have a structural assessment, uh, vertical. We also have a design vertical. A water wastewater vertical and a construction services slash construction management vertical. Uh, so those are our four pillars of, of, of work that we do at Consor. Um, my office, I'm located in Honolulu, Hawaii. So we have, um, we have three, three PE divers out there plus two other EIT divers and a full dive spread. Um, and then Colton, he, yeah, he, he'll tell you where he's from. Uh, once he gets on the mic here, but, um, but yeah, we have a, a bunch of engineer divers and regular commercial divers across the United States. So, yeah, I was going to say, I kind of saw this explosion of consort. It seems like every industry meeting or any, every show I'm looking at somebody and now they're working for consort because their company was purchased by them. So you guys have really blown up over the course of the last three to five years. Yeah, we have. And you know what's really cool about, even though we are a big firm, and this is what I really like about Concert, to be honest with you, is um, 
the, all the smaller firms that, that merged with us, they're all uh, minority firms originally who, um, did good work, graduated and, um, you know, <laughs> needed to compete with, you know, quote unquote, the big boys. Right. So, um, even though we're a large firm, it still feels like a very small firm, you know, um, you know, we can, you know, I got the bosses here anytime I want it, you know, um, they listen to us. Um, so, so yeah, it, it has that, still has that small firm feeling and mentality. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Especially when you start bringing on other cultures and companies, trying to get everybody to assimilate together. That's no easy task. Yeah. So if you still have that small company feel to it, then job well done as I, as I see it. So, um, Colton, tell us about, I'm, so you, I know you're not out of Hawaii. I know where you're out of But Tell us about your office and kind of what you guys do, you know, where you're at. So we're in Edmond, Oklahoma. We're essentially located. Uh, we handle most of the Midwest from Montana down to Texas, Gulf Coast, all that. Uh, we do go out and reach uh, other areas when other areas need help. But we mostly are divers on one side and then the rest of the office is climbers. We do have a design office in Oklahoma City, but they're not in our Edmond, Oklahoma office. But yeah, we, we cover m most of the Midwest and, and East Coast. And if Ikeika ever needs divers out in Hawaii, you can give us a call. I'm <laughs> <laughs> more than willing to come down and help there. But I think the water's too warm for you. Oh, I'll take warm. Yeah, it's I'll too, take warm over it's too clear. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know what to do with all this viz. <laughs> So you had mentioned a term for us lay folks. What's a climber? Uh, Sprat certified climbing inspection. So trusses, uh, I mean, anything that needs rope access. Uh, so mainly for us is trusses, but it can go anywhere. If we're doing water tower inspections, we got to have gotcha. Sprat guys out there to set up ropes to get the equipment up to the top of the, gotcha. the tower to be able to dive in there. So... Uh, yeah, any anything requiring ropes, we have. I think the most level three Sprat certified PEs in the country. I believe if that's correct. Yeah, so there's uh, three levels. Uh, entry level is level one, level two is mid, and then level three is like a, a supervisor. Okay, right? yeah. okay. So you, you're a diver. You're a commercial diver. Mm -hmm. You've worked for a commercial diving contractor prior to these guys. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me, I'm curious, I always wanted to know, what is the difference diving for an engineering firm versus a regular contractor that would do maybe more construction work type things? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is consistency. Uh, I worked offshore for a little while, and I mean, it'd be two weeks before I'd get a phone call to go go, go out on a hitch. I hear so, that. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, I'm from Oklahoma, so I got to come back home and, and I didn't know anything about the engineering diving side, DOT inspections or anything like that. So I'd say the, the biggest difference would be the consistency in work. I mean, when your job is federally regulated and required, it's kind of recession proof. So, uh, I know going from offshore, a lot of these guys, they just give up and hang up the hat whenever, you know, work slows down, which it has been in the Gulf for quite a while. Um, so I'd say the biggest thing, yeah, conssistency. To, to have that 40 hours a week guaranteed is, is well, quite and that, nice, especially being a contractor in a diving world. And, and that, that tracks with where most of the students that are getting out of schools, 
they're not really going into that offshore sector. They're going into the inland sector for the very reasons you just cited. So that's pretty consistent with uh, industry trend right now. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for every dive school, but when I went through dive school, that the only mention of inland diving was water towers. That was it, in dams. Liquid, uh, I didn't know anything. Liquid engineering, yeah, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's all geared towards offshore, you know, bell diving, deco, Serdio uh, 2, stuff like that. So... I didn't, I didn't, I knew absolutely nothing. I just happened to come across it on Indeed and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm from there. So why not give it a try? And it looks like it's worked out for you, man. But oh yeah. I'm very fortunate finding this shallow water for life. Shallow all day, every day. I'll yeah. take flow. Gotta do some, <laughs> gotta do some t-shirts there. Yeah. Shallow water divers all day, all, <laughs> all night, whatever else, all day, all night. There you go. High flow divers. That's oh, right. That's great. So, Laura, tell us a little bit about your office and and uh, kind of how you got into this. Um, I'm Consor's most recent hire, and I was brought on to establish the Louisiana office. So I'm putting the flag down, and uh, we haven't had a location identified yet, but that's that's in the works. But we're we're fortunate, you know, with such a high concentration of dive companies that. You know, there's a lot of talent to tap into and a lot of really, really good locations. So we're probably looking more towards the New Orleans area and um, probably within the next month or two, we'll actually have a hard stand building to, to house our boats. Wow, that's pretty that's got to be pretty exciting knowing that you're at the forefront of getting this whole thing established down here and trying to grow, grow the brand down in the New Orleans area. Yeah, one one of one right now, and we already have contracts with the uh, Louisiana Department of Transportation for their bridge work. So at least I'm not having to chase contracts, but uh, we will be pursuing um, building the uh, the office and building the team pretty hard. Um, but fortunately, the work's here right now, and um, you know Louisiana is a, a great state to partner with. The Louisiana Economic Development Board has been. Um, been over backwards for us and excited that we recognize the opportunities that are in the state. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I neglected at the beginning because I usually have my partner in crime, Mr. Gary Jones, uh, go ahead and do the opening. So I kind of dropped the ball in terms of introducing Gary as well as Armando Gonzalez and the team from Bottom Dwellers who uh, we partner with to get the downline out. So guys, forgive me for that. I'm kind of a rook when it comes to no, the I'm intro. Fine, Phil, you're fine. <laughs> intro I'm doing deal. Doing it, 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 my voice yeah. is not really where it should be, but that's Sounds what happens very white. When, you, when you get Delicious to New Orleans. Sounding. You know, <laughs> New Orleans takes it out of you. Dripping with honey. Yeah. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> or bourbon. Well, I didn't want to <laughs> throw them on blast here. You know, yeah, divers, yeah. divers don't tell, right? I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, so let's kind of circle back to the whole concept of engineer diving. Um, you know that we we had our engineering diving committee meeting yesterday morning and kind of had a nice historical perspective provided to us by Dave Severins, which. You know, I pretty much lived through a good portion of that, not the stuff from the 80s or, or the early 90s, but certainly, you know, as we got into 2000 on up, I was able to kind of see that 
whole resurgence. And then, you know, at the point when I came on with the association in 06, there was really, really a huge concerted effort to go ahead and um, eliminate any attempts to come up with a short standard or a short course for engineer divers. Diving period is the same. It has the same inherent hazards. Everyone should have the basic knowledge and skill set to be a commercial diver. And we, through the Engineering Diving Committee, were really able to go ahead and put an end to that and get the engineering diving community to accept, at a minimum, our standards for commercial diver training, which would have been ANSI ACDE 01 2015. And that was a huge win. But now we're looking at the path forward. And what does engineering diving do to contribute to the underwater industry as a whole? And I'll let you respond to that. What exactly do engineering divers do in support of the underwater industry? Yeah, geez, how much time do we have? No, <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not a loaded question, is yeah. it? <laughs> no, no. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Dave gave a good historical recount, uh, going all the way back, I think, until the the eighties when um, this uh, uh, in this internal industry battle on on dive standards and you know engineers versus commercial divers and what do you need to learn and what do you need to know. Um, so that was that was helpful, I think, for for the whole committee to hear that and and know how how deep it it actually went, um, yeah, and, and and how to kind of let's put that in the past. Now that we have a consensus or a really solid consensus standard through the industry um, and the engineering firms um, collaboratively coming together to you know put out a, a, a really good minimum standard that everybody can buy, buy into um, was, was important. And so now that we have that kind of hammered out, you know, looking forward, right, is, okay, how do we make, make our industry better? How do we do better for our clients? Um, you know, what can we do? How can we train newer, newer engineer divers? Um, and like what Colt said was, uh, you know, hit home, right? It's like we, we talked, he didn't, when he was at dive school, he didn't even know engineer diving was a thing. Not at all. You know, and so that's, uh, that's an, another initiative for us is to, to get the word out. Um, I know when I go and give my uh, career day seminars to high school kids or, or colleges, you know, I wish somebody told me when I was their age that you could actually be an engineer diver, you know? Right. Um, growing up in Hawaii, I mean, I was always in the water. I love the water, you know, surfing, diving, free diving. And, that, and that's kind of how I got into it. Um, the diving was, I was free diving, trying to go, you know, poke fish and, you know, get, catch some dinner. And I went out with my uncle uh, one day scuba diving. You know, I, I didn't dive. I was like his tender. He's like, oh, just sit on the boat. Watch while I go dive. I'm like, okay, cool. What are you going to do? You know? So he goes, he shows up uh, with his, um, <clears throat> back then it was called the Hawaiian backpack. It was like a aluminum backplate with with two aluminum hooks that just came over your your back with a scuba tank strapped to it and a belt that came across. And the reason it was like that is because they wanted to take it off so they could get into the hole and, and grab like lobsters and stuff like that, right? Ah, uh, okay. okay. So <clears throat> so I'm on the boat. He gets his, his gear on. He jumps over. I can see him, you know, because it's 100-foot visibility. So he's down there. I see him, you know, poking around. All of a sudden, he comes up with all this 
lobsters and fish. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. Why am I holding my breath? You know, waiting down there trying to poke a fish but while it swims by, you know? Right. So he's down there all day, you know, um, yeah, collecting all this fish. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to do this. Right. And so that's what got me into diving uh, originally. And that was, shoot, I think I was like 16, 17 when that happened, you know. Um, and then uh, after that, yeah, um, I went to engineer school. And then it wasn't until I was in engineering school that I could you know, I thought, oh, wait, you mean I can actually dive and do the stuff I love right. for a living? So that was insane. Um, Mind-blowing, you know. So, so yeah, um, went to dive school, and, and then now I'm a, you know, engineer diver. But, what, yeah, what does that mean, right? So, so what is that? So I think the biggest thing for, for us in the field is, you know, we understand structures, you know, we understand the, the load mechanisms. Um, we understand like, is that crack important to the structure? Is it, is it not? Is it a, is that spall or that, you know, how important is that defect? What does it look like identifying it properly? Um, naming conventions, you know, a lot of times you can't see the structure. So you have to be down there trying to feel around and you have to explain that to the top side. Um, person taking the notes, right? You got to explain, oh, I'm at this corner and it looks like this and I'm missing this and oh yeah, I should, you know, you should have this thing or something like that. So, you know, we're on limited time, right? When you're down there. So you got to be efficient. You got to, you know, communicate appropriately. Um, and so that's all training and, you know, experience that you gain um, in your, you know, your years of, of, of diving and and going to school and learning, you know, what the structures are and um, how important those elements are to the bridge or the, the waterfront structure that you're looking at, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, you know, for me, when it really kind of hit home was the Minnesota Bridge disaster. And that kind of was my real awakening in terms of the importance of the engineer diver in terms of, as you said, looking at and kind of confirming the integrity of that structure. And it seems like since that happened, I would see then 07, I believe it was in 07 when that happened, there's just the industry as a whole has blown up. And that may be from the outside looking in, you know, from a lay perspective, but it would, does that track like after the Minnesota Bridge disaster, did you see this huge uh, influx of work coming in for engineering firms? Yeah, and it was really brought down from the the DOTs, right, and the agencies and, and FHWA, um, who started really mandating all these bridges get inspected on a two year cycle. Uh, underwater, it was a minimum of sixty months or five years it needed to be inspected, um, and so that's kind of what spawned the whole inspection uh, program. But, you know, you, you think about it this way, right? So we're, we're, we're under the water diving. We come across a bridge. It's maybe completely scoured out. And, you know, the whole foundation's undermined, right? And we're like, holy crap. How is this thing even standing up, right? And so we have to go up and tell the client, right? Like, uh, you want the good news or the bad news? They'll say, I'll take the bad news. Bad news is we got to close the bridge, 
Right. What's the good news? It hasn't fallen down yet. <laughs> right, right. Nobody's died yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, news. nobody's died yet. Right, right. So, you know, you have to have those hard conversations with those people, right? And you have to be confident in your assessment um, and knowledgeable and, you know, take that ownership, right? And so, um, it's, it's not everybody can do that. It's a hard thing to do, you know? Right, right. Well, and not everyone is qualified to be not able to go ahead and do it. So, and, uh, you know, so let me ask you, Laura, I'm going to kind of rope you into this. So outside of what Kaika said in terms of divers going down and just kind of feeling their way through to determine the amount of scour um, or whatever deficiencies are there, what other tools do engineering firms used in support of, say, underwater bridge inspection or, you know, underwater structure integrity? You know, beside the 20-pound the brains um, <laughs> with the, the crew that we work with, um, yeah, we do have a lot of um, non-destructive equipment, you know, but... But really, like when we go to the inspection, it's important to understand what type of engineering inspection we're going to do and what the outcome is. Is it a general assessment to understand the health and quality or is it going to be an inspection with rehabilitation following? Because those are sort of two different paths for the client and requiring sort of two different measurements and needing to understand if you're going to repair concrete, how far is that cut going to be Um and, and what the different sizes are. And so, you know, we use a lot of the traditional stuff that the um, underwater construction firms are using, um, you know, from coring for destructive, you know, to- Side scans. Side scans, and then various uh, bathymetric surveys, um, you know, the whole, that runs a whole gamut depend, based off of the material that we're, we're using. Yeah, most of, most of the time I go down there with, uh, you know, a pocket protector with, with pens in my pocket <laughs> and my, my calculator. <laughs> Super nerds, right? Yeah. Another, another big advancement I've seen for underwater side is uh, sonar. Uh, 3D scanning, 2D scanning. I right. mean, back in the day, side scan was amazing. You could drive by a pier and be like, okay, I got timber debris. Now we know what to look out for. But the stuff that they have nowadays, we put on the boat, we're up and running in an hour, and then you get a full 3D model of what's going on down there. So it's nice to have a visual representation, especially as a diver, knowing what you're going to get into. Like, I can see the footing is exposed. There is undermining. Here's, right. here's potential hazards. Oh, here's a collapsed fender system, you know, umbilical management. So to be able to have that technology to get in, do it, get it done, get as much data as accurate as possible and the safest way possible is, is it. I mean, just in the last 10 years is astronomical. Yeah, and I kind of want to piggyback on that. And then I'll, I know we have some other folks that have some questions, but so kind of in my observation, I noticed that what would happen typically, a lot of engineering firms would go out, they would perform, say, the inspections, and then at some point they would have to then third party out some of the underwater work to actual commercial diving contractors. And then what I kind of noticed, and you, you guys correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, seems like right around the mid early 2000s, you started having engineering firms saying, wait a minute, 
we can, we should be able to not have to outsource this out. Let's start bringing in our own personnel and wanting to kind of become more of a one-stop shop than, um, you know, having to third party out different aspects of the project. With, does that track? Yeah, I think you're, you're pretty close there on the early 2000s. Yeah, it probably seems about right when engineering firms finally figured it out. Like, hey, yeah, we can do this stuff, right? We don't need these, like, true commercial divers that right. are, just doing, are doing construction work, right? Because, yeah, we, we, we would have to do that, right? We, there was minimal engineers back then, right? Or qualified technicians. Right. Diver technicians, you know? So, so yeah, we had to, um, we had to grab or borrow or, you know, have used their boats or, you know, their gear. Or worse, have, you know, depending on the firm, just a recreationally qualified diver to go down and try and knock out the work. Yeah. Um, That was the worst part about the engineering business. Exactly. Use those guys. And some, some of these firms are really bad about it. You know, I, I know Phil, you were, tamping down quite a bit when you took over at the ADCI with a lot of firms trying to get their people grandfathered in, which that was like an air quote thing to where, yeah, we have a lot of these engineer divers that are getting grandfathered in air quotes and all they had was a scuba cert. Yeah. And, and, and I have, and that's going away, thankfully it it has. And, and not even so much from a pure ADCI central office standpoint or anything like that. But that was really something I think also organically came out from a lot of the lead engineering firms that we have within the association. So the having the engineering diving committee, and then having some engineering firms on the board, f- folks that are actual commercial divers that have now started working for engineering firms, being able now to really assess and, and do all of the risk assessments and everything and wanting to make sure that folks are properly kitted up. And even this latest revision of the consensus standards where we revised our entire scuba subsection that was all driven by engineers. Uh, you know, they were the ones that set that bar actually higher. And for those of you that haven't seen the proposed revisions to that section, you know, we're talking about minimum four-man dive team, even though for surface supply diving, the OSHA minimum and even ADCI minimum are three-man dive teams. So we're talking about scuba having a higher manning level than you know, the most basic surface applied air diving uh, plan, no D. And that's quite a leap. That That is quite a leap. Because if you would have asked folks 10 years ago, they'd say, no, that's a bridge too far. Not today. And it's, it's really refreshing to see the engineering diving community just kind of, you know, lifting the bar, self-lifting that bar. Because I didn't write that revision. Yeah. Engineer divers did. Consor is one of those firms that's leading the way, and it's really yeah. nice to see that. Yeah. You know, well, and Moffat and Nickel, I'm going to, because actually the two drivers were Consor and Moffat and Nichols on the safety committee to go ahead and get that revised standard out there, and uh, you know, hats off. Yeah, David Dodd, he does a, he does a fantastic job leading our our dive group, you know, and, and safety. He really you know pounds that into us. Uh, 
Um, and, and I think we have a good a good leadership and supervisor group uh, where we can bounce some questions off of a, a other supervisors that have a lot of experience. You know, we have a lot of guys that, that grew up in the Gulf diving offshore, have a lot of experience even inland, doing a lot of different things inland. Um, so, it, so it's, I mean, you know, having that that person where you can be like, hey, man, I got this job. What do you think I should do? You know, for a lot of young guys coming up to to be able to learn, you know, from those guys who have been there and done it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think there's sometimes we have to self-regulate as engineers. There's a little bit of humor, hubris that goes along with some folks that have more degrees in common sense and, you know, in our building and designing, um, you know, just world class structures. But you do have to humble yourself, you know, and listen to your technicians. And I don't think it's an us versus them. It's bringing all the talents together and, you know, where everybody has a role to play and we're not taking turf from one another. But again, it's sort of the humbling yourself um, to know that, especially when you're starting out, that you are, you have, might have advanced engineering knowledge, but you might be a beginning in your diving career. And so you have to sort of marry those two things at once and really, you know, trust your technicians, but it's sort of a blending of the team. And that's what's so great about consors is that blending in these world-class technicians that we have. And it's, and it's not an us versus them. It's a, it's a one team concept. Yeah. I mean, I, I like how we spread the load. Uh, obviously I'm not an engineer, so there's no way I'm going to be able to do what y'all do. I don't get a little rubber stamped. So, uh, to be a subject matter ex expert on the diving side of things and then as well as the inspection side of things kind of frees, I feel like, frees the engineers up to focus on the more important stuff that we just simply cannot do. I mean, obviously our engineer divers are very well versed in diving, but the intricacies of the regulation, I mean, down to the little details, that's where we come in as subject matter experts, taking that load off the engineers for advice and planning. Yeah, and, and let me just jump onto that. And I mean, you know, diving's a dangerous job, right? Mm. We all know that, right? But so having a comfort level when you're in the water that you can depend on these guys, they got your back or these girls got your back, you know, it's like key. And that's that that makes the diver more comfortable in the water. He now he or she can do a better inspection and really focus in on what he needs to look at or she needs to look at, you know, so, you know, it does. It goes hand in hand, right? And, and I'm going to just kind of, feed on, on all of that, jump in and all. As I understand it, you know, because we have you guys here, you you are the divers, you're the diving side, the underwater side, but let's just talk about the engineering firm as a whole. Um, and I'm not asking you to just air out any dirty laundry, but just maybe to debunk a myth or to verify it, but is there a lot of convincing and headbutting internally in terms of why say the diving needs to look a certain way versus what a non-diver thinks it needs to look like? Like you can't wear a half, half mask. You got to have comms and, and all of that. Um, do, is there kind of a steep, steep hill or climb to convince folks of why it needs to look a certain way? And that's a good line of conversation because <clears throat> it's one of those things where it's like, yes, we're divers and engineers. How do you 
take off the engineer hat and focus on the diving because again, I've said it before, diving ops, diving comes first. You got to make sure you get to the job site alive, safely and well, and then you put the engineer hat on. Get to the job site, put the engineer hat on, then you do your job. But it's really hard sometimes when you're dealing with engineers that have that engineer hat on the whole time. So again, just dovetailing off of a fill there, how do you combat that or how do you complement that in order to make it productive? You know, I think, at least looking back at at our firm right now, I think all of our, you know, engineer divers, um, I don't think, I, I can't think of one that really has an ego, you know? Um, I think every single one is like, yeah, David Dodd says this is how we're going to do it. And I think everybody's fine with that, right? Oh, I think we got to have to. That's, you know? This is how you're going to do it. Yeah. This is how you're going to do it. I mean, fine. I'm fine with that, you know? And I think, I think everybody, yeah. Everybody, I, right, Colt? I think, I don't think anybody has issues with. No, no, our, nobody our, has our, issues. You know, our, uh, our, we have such a unique job that puts us in very unique geographic regions. Um, so, I mean, you could bring every diver we have out to a bridge up in the mountains and everyone's going to give you a different answer of how they, they would approach that bridge. I mean, and not only like geographic up there, but then there's structures that have old trusses leaning against it. How would you tackle that? So everyone's going to have a different opinion. Obviously, we're all going to do it according to regulations and safe. But at the end of the day, we don't really argue. Uh, we kind of have a discussion. We mm-hmm. come together and figure out, all right, this is the plan. Everybody agrees. Uh, we're not going to make anybody do anything that they're not comfortable doing. And mm-hmm. I would like, if I'm not comfortable doing it, I'm not going to ask anybody else to do it. So at the end of the day, I feel... There might be some disagreements, but it's we come together at the end and get the job done as safe as possible. So. See, I think yeah. I think you guys are lucky, and this kind of harkens back to your small company feel because you know I've had some other feedback provided to me from other firms that it's a constant battle to convince folks of why we need to say kit up this way versus another way. And they don't necessarily have that smooth pathway as you, you outlined. So Armando, you, you do you, what's your experience? You're working for Moffat and Nickel, you know, and you got even in the past before, you know, I started my career in the engineering diving business and then I went construction. So I kind of went backwards, Okay, you know, which awesome, you know, it's definitely awesome. You know, a really hard thing to do because uh, they're two different, you know, fields. So the engineer diver, they have a different purpose, different task and everything. And what I've found is that sometimes you get very focused on that task. You know, you need to cover so many bents over a certain period of time because your, your hotel's only booked for that long. Construction, it's like you're there until it's done. So it's a lot easier with the construction diving and with the engineer diving, it's like you're stuck on that time frame. You have to get it done there. So you have to get it done by any, by any means necessary. So I was brought up in the olden, a little, little bit in the olden days, you know, with the engineer diver, that was the whole, again, grandfathered in type of stuff, you know? And uh, that was more like a, again, the dive, the diving was secondary at that point. It's gotten a lot better now, especially with Moffat Nickel and Consor leading the way. And then some other firms too, that have uh, been stepping up. But I used to remember it being a constant battle, especially trying to spread those tables really thin, you know, as far as um, trying to milk out every last minute. 
of your uh, dive time to get that last, you know, bridge inspection or that last waterfront inspection done. You know, as far as uh, as far as dive supervisors are concerned, even in the en- even in the engineering business, we should not be pushing our divers to the end of the table. There's no need for it. One thing I like that we do, and I don't know if you guys do this or, or what, but we have at, at a minimum a quarterly uh, dive supervisor meeting, and we talk about different issues or things that come up, um, you know, changes to some of the regulations or some issues or like recently we, we found um, a, a crack in the chin strap on a hat that was found during a pre-dive and the hat just got serviced and somebody missed it, you know? And so that was, that was shared to all of our divers, you know? And it's like, and I asked the question, I was like, well, so what do you, what do you do? What just hypothetically, well, what do you do if you're out in the middle of nowhere? You only, that's the only hat you have. Are are you going to dive in and just mitigate it air quotes with uh, letting everybody know you're going to do it? And I, I don't know how many people came back and said, oh, absolutely not. We ain't diving. That's that hat's out. It's all stopped. It's all stopped. That hat's yep. out. And I was like, okay, just so everybody's crystal clear, guys, this is what we're doing. And that's know? a message industry should be pushing out, whether it's an engineering firm or, you know, just a, a regular diving contractor that does construction work. The hazards are the same. The equipment, the life support equipment is the same. Mm-hmm. So the approach to it needs yeah. to be the same. Well, I mean, everything we do is literally in black and white. So there, there's no arguing, can I dive the hat or not? It's it's written down, recorded in history. So there shouldn't ever be an argument, especially when it comes to safety of life support equipment. Yeah. I mean, someone looks at it and is like, ah, it's chin strap. Okay. Let what that hat get ripped off your head and see how you feel about what, that chin strap. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but in construction, until you see your friends starting to die, then you realize it's serious. You know, that's one of those things where you don't see very much in the engineering field. You know, engineering field, it's a little bit, you know, safer because there's more, you know, planning. There's more mitigation to some of these risks because you're only swimming and looking at stuff. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. That's all you're doing in engineering inspections. You're literally just looking at stuff, you know, but We're feeling things stuff. can go haywire, <laughs> things, things can go wrong. Right. You right. know, and uh, again, that's kind of what Phil was getting at earlier is like, you know, how do you stop that attitude from creeping in? And it sounds like you're doing a good job at console. We're doing the same thing with Moffin Nickel. And there's other firms too that are having their, their, their uh, it's all based on communication and uh, practical safety training. With underwater inspection experience going back to 1994, Consor is a national leader in full-service structural assessment. From flowing rivers to deep ocean and even inside reservoirs, Consor's highly trained, ADCI-certified dive team pros inspect bridges and other structures across North America. They work with municipalities, water districts, river authorities, industrial and commercial companies, and other state and federal agencies. Consor's specialized underwater services help their client partners plan, design, construct, and maintain infrastructure in the riverine and offshore environments. Dive into consorting.com to learn more. Consor, going above, below, and beyond the surface to move communities forward. It, it really is. And, and a lot of this, I think, is, you know, just industry awareness. But, you know, going back to the Engineering Diving Committee, this was kind of the purpose of putting that committee together to set some recognize, industry recognized guidelines because, you know, I think everybody that's sitting at this table now knows that 15, 20 years ago, 
we weren't having any conversations about the use of surface applied uh, equipment or full face masks with comms. We were talking about half masks and recreational equipment and going out there and facing those same hazards and performing those same tasks. And that, I don't want to say that's completely gone away. We're, we're still having to work that issue, but nowhere near to the degree that it was 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you look at that uh, standard, actually, the way that they're doing that commercial scuba costs you just as much, if not more, than a service applied setup, right, to do it right. And these guys are doing it right. I know even Jeff has spent some time getting... And, you know, all his stuff squared away. They, they are. And to that point, I, I wanted to say, when this this was rolled out, not all engineering firms were good with it. There was a lot of pushback in terms of the manning level, the level of equipment. And so, you know, one of the things that we had to do, because we received so many comments about that, was to kind of send it back to the safety committee. And then, you know, what, what happened is we brought on those folks that had the biggest issues with it to sit down and qualify with the committee why it should look different than the proposed revisions. And, you know, you, you get those folks on the committee, they get talking, and then you can kind of convince them on, you know, the rationale for why it needs to look this way versus, you know, your position of why it just needs to stay the same. So isn't that something, Phil? It's like, you know, you have a problem with it. Come and help us make it better. Oh, that's oh, wow. Yeah, that's a strategy. All of a sudden, it's like, man, I got to come into the room and actually help. Well, you, and I can't just talk. But more, right. And more importantly, you have to qualify yeah. why we shouldn't make this change. You know, just the same way that the committee had to qualify why we should make the change. And if you don't have that discourse, then you're going to constantly have people either falling back on myths or misinformation or whatever else. But you bring them all in a room and you make them sit down and problem solve that issue. And, you know, by first articulating why it needs to look a certain way. And in the end, you just kind of peel off and you say, hey. These are the facts versus the perceptions. So there's no armchair quarterbacking when you're dealing with divers' lives. No, you no, know, you, you got an issue. You come to the table. You come Let's to the table and you sit down. That's exactly right. And I found that to be a great strategy. But I got to see that firsthand here very recently with the efforts in trying to revise the, you know, the scuba subsection. So. Yeah, and I mean, you know, as, as a committee member, we are still looking for initiatives for us to do, engineering initiatives in the industry. So, you know, if any of you guys out there in radio land, podcast land, have anything, you know, reach reach out to Phil or Armando or any one of the guys over here um, so we can uh, help the industry grow and get better. And I'm glad you mentioned that because every time you do that, I think, uh, well, this is one of the other ways in which the committee has helped us out. So many of you know that we, when we went ahead and revised the testing for umbilicals, we removed the pull test, but we did that by bringing in manufacturers, by bringing in safety committee folks. 
and by also involving the engineering diving committee. And we didn't always do that from an equipment standpoint, but we come to realize that we weren't tapping into an outstanding resource that we had right within the association. And, uh, you know, so I foresee as we start looking at other issues related to diving and equipment and everything else, that it'd be pretty misplaced for us not to involve the engineering diving committee. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And um, <clears throat> yesterday when we had our closed door session, I think a lot of our, our guys, are, we're going to try and get on other committees, you know, like the safety and technical committee. We want to make sure that um, we're represented. And, and if some, if one of those committees needs us for something, you know, they have a, a liaison that they can, they can uh, ask or, um, you know, and it's, and it's all communication. It's like the more, like there's a lot of issues that we have in the, in the industry or things come up, but we don't know what we don't know. Right. Exactly. So if we can, if we can all, you know, really communicate and get together and, and, um, you know, work collaboratively with all of our different experiences um, and knowledge to help solve a problem and make the industry safer. I, I think that's, you know, the goal for all of us, right? Yeah. I mean, for us to not operate in a vacuum and to recognize who's out there that we can that we can kind of share the responsibility of upping our game with. And again, the committee. Um, so I don't have any other questions off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. Gary, do you? Well, I did want to, you know, for the guys interested in becoming, you know, an engineer diver, I know there's that school that's now pushing out diving engineers. I'm not remembering their name. Yeah, so, so we have the PDT Professional Diver Training Center. that uh, It's up in the Dallas area. And then also we have the Minnesota School, um, which, so those are the two that have a heavy engineering diving focus. Um, and for folks that are out there listening, that means that say you're currently working at an engineering firm, but now you want to become a commercial diver. These two programs will allow you to be able to break up your training into different modules. You still have to do the full 625 hours, but you won't have to do it in that full-time format of going to school for say six months plus. You can go for say a month or two week period of time, go back home, do your job, um, you know, kind of get things in order for say a month or whatever is negotiated with the school. Then you come back and you do some more with the understanding that all exams and all practical exercises need to take place at the school. But there's a lot of virtual learning that can be done from a classroom standpoint. And um, and it's just a lot more user-friendly for somebody that's already out there in the field. Yeah, we just, uh, concert, we just sent three of our, well, two of two of my, the guys that worked for me last year to dive school in, at the Dallas uh facility um, we had three three people total from concert last year that um, got trained and then we have three more scheduled to do uh, training this year well and and you guys you know as far as the PDTC goes the the school up in the Dallas area Consor was really instrumental in helping that program get off the ground yeah that's right yeah so yeah yeah for, for those of you that that don't know it um, you know when you start a school you're obviously not 
it's not this huge expanse thing that pops up overnight. It's an evolutionary process. And Consor astutely recognized that we got a manpower shortage issue, especially with respect to engineer divers. And so they went ahead and they created a course so that there was a, a pathway for those folks that are working for firms to go ahead and become commercial divers. And Consor was there to help assist in, in kind of getting that thing off the ground. Yeah, I think if I'm, I wish, uh, yeah, David has the answer to this, but I, I think U.S. U.S. guys. Who's yes, now U.S. A, underwater. Yes, yeah, U.S. underwater, yeah, Consor. Right, is now a Consor company. Yeah. Uh, they help get that facility up and running. Yeah, they did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they so, held it. They held it down there at their shop. At their yep. shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then uh, there was the equipment piece and everything mm-hmm. else, and and for us because we were the auditing entity for for the program. You know, normally we say, well, you've got to have your own dedicated equipment and this and that and the other. But in this case, we understood that that could stand in the way of getting the program off the ground and helping address that manpower shortage that we have. Right. So there had to be some flexibility in the part of the association to say, yeah, but Consor's equipment, U.S. Underwater's equipment has been audited. Mm-hmm. It's been vetted. And this, there's a cooperative between this company and the school to go ahead and lease that equipment out until such time as the school is in a place to be able to purchase their own, which that's what we're looking at now. Right. So, you know, it wasn't as though this was something that was longstanding. It was until the school could get to a place in which it could float on its own. Now it has its own facility, its own equipment. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, I thought that was very astute of Consor to do it because all of the other engineering firms are going to be tapping into the PDTC as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, they, they, they can take up to 12 students, I think is what they said. Yeah. That's, yeah. they, they cap it there. Yeah. Ideally 10, 10. Yeah. But they can do 12. Right. So Consor has three this next year. So you guys, it's filling up fast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But I'd also jump in that you know, it's a two part problem. You have to go to dive school, but you also have to get a degree in engineering. Right. And, to qualify to go to the school, you have to have an engineering degree. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things for folks who already have, I went to uh, DIT um, outside of a sponsorship from a firm. So there's, everybody has multiple paths on on how to get to where they're. So you had your destiny in your own hands, you're saying. Yes. (laughs) So, but also for folks that, you know, are working in construction or, or in the Gulf and, and want to go back and get a four-year degree that, you know, they can, as they're working on that degree, they can reach out to Consor and other firms for internships and, and start building that engineering capability. So again, there's, there's multiple paths to get there and ultimately to create a PE diver, that's an eight-year journey because it takes eight years wow. to get your, your PE. So, which is also why, you know, we really have to understand and the pipeline and the timelines that we're, that we're dealing with to get to that ultimate end state of being a professional engineer and it's possible slash commercial diver. You know, it's it, possible to do, for, especially for the younger guys out there, you know, a good friend of mine. Too. <laughs> uh, well, it's, that's what I'm getting at. A good friend of mine, Paul Roberts, that's the route he took. You know, he's working with C Engineering. They're also a member company, right, Phil? 
Uh, yes. Yes. So he's out there in Hawaii right now, you know, um, they got a huge project out there, but he was going offshore. And then in between his, his, uh, runs offshore, he would do his math classes. You know, from what I've heard, that was the toughest part of the engineers getting those math classes, you know, done theoretical. He said it was fine. It's just those darn math classes, you know, so it's possible to do it as a current diver right now. So don't let that intimidate you. You know, I'm a little bit long in the tooth for it, but I'm just saying those younger guys in their 20s and early 30s, you know, definitely well, we, go for it. We, we talked a little bit about this yesterday at the engineering diving committee meeting, and that's just kind of the low-hanging fruit of just going to the dive schools themselves and making the graduates or soon-to-be graduates aware of the engineering diving, you know, track that they could pursue because I don't, you know, the schools really don't, they stay very generalized. They're not looking to push folks into any one particular area. And most of the schoolhouses don't have anybody that's well-versed in engineering or was an engineering diver to go ahead and kind of identify folks that are there. So that's one of the things that I said is, is that, hey, look, if somebody come and give a presentation at DIT or at, at any one of the other schools there, because you don't know what is untapped in that student population. And even if you go and you've got two guys that express some kind of passion to want to go that route. That's two more than you had before you came. So I, I, I think that, you know, for lack of a better term, I think the schools in terms of a recruitment base for engineering diver, it's, it's virgin territory that really hasn't been tapped. Yeah. Right. And then another area of focus is, is the universities as and well. The, exactly. Because there's graduates, graduates, <laughs> right. you know, who are spending four years to get a, a degree. Right, right. You know, are, are sometimes balk at, uh, you know, being in an office forever. And so the folks that really enjoy being in the field and, and actually not just seeing a design on paper, but actually putting your hands on the actual structure they, um, and, and engaging with uh, structures in the physical world rather than in a computer, if that's your passion, like this is a great, avenue to to go down yeah totally i mean passion right i mean i i absolutely love what i do you know being solving being an engineer and solving a problem and being in the water pff, come on it's fantastic um yeah so look what well we're, we're pounding hands over here but um you know what laura said the eight-year thing it, it is you know you go to engineering school it takes you four years to go through that you know then you got to put four years in um, or actually now I think you can take, you can sit to take your, your fundamentals of engineering or your EIT test sooner than, than the four year time. But you have to, before you even graduate. But you have there's, to there's a lot of colleges that are, yeah. that offer that before they even graduate. They so graduate, they get yeah. their certificate yeah. and go straight into the workforce as an EI. Yeah. So there'll be a, there'll be an engineer in training, right? And so you have to work, um, under an engineer, a licensed engineer for another four years doing some design work and getting that experience. And then once you get that experience, then you can sit and take your professional engineering license, right? Your PE. Your PE, right? And then that's your PE. So each one of those tests, it's a, uh, it, it's an eight hour all day test. So the fundamentals of engineering, the EIT, it's uh, four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon. They break for one hour for lunch. Then the PE is the same thing. It's a four hours in the morning and four hours in the afternoon. But it's all doable. I mean, it's, it's like totally Armando doable. said yeah. is, is that 
whether you're a diver that wants to become an engineer and an engineer to become a diver, it's all doable. It's not like how we would uh, say, you know, I can go ahead and make a diver a great welder. No, but I can make a great welder a diver. And that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily hold true with, with this. Anybody could go, you know, you could reverse diver to become an engineer or engineer to become a diver. And I think a lot of folks, when they think about, they just hear the word engineer. It's like, well, these guys, you know, so there's a certain mystique that's there that almost seems like only a few people can attain that. Yeah. Well, if you apply yourself and that's yeah. where you want to do, you you can do it. Yeah. And we have a, you know, another way to become an engineer diver is, um, you know, we have a lot of, of folks that are from the military, right? Um, and so, you know, you, you go into the military, you do your service, they'll offer you the GI Bill. Right. So if you guys have anything like that and you're interested in um, going back to school, utilize that GI Bill, go to engineering school and and take advantage of that. You know, that's another way to do it. Money, yeah. money well spent. Way to spend that money, yeah. Yeah, the government mm -hmm. paid me to go to dive school. They paid go. for my school and gave me monthly BAH, so I got paid to go to school. Yeah. I mean, especially coming out of the military, it's money on the table. Don't leave it on the table. Take no, advantage sir. of that. Well, that's where uh, order counts. So I'm, you know, Army, and uh, I used my GI Bill getting my engineering degrees. Mm -hmm. And there you so go. I didn't have money for dive school, so use student loans. Oh, okay. So <laughs> use one or the other, right? <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. So it, it's yeah. not this like infinite well yeah. that you can yeah. you can pull yeah. from, but but certainly again, there's it's a resource. It's yeah, yeah there's resources and there's avenues, ways, yeah. and, and probably you know for folks you know interested, and even just being you know on the technical side, you know, Consor has great plans for you know our dive technicians from you you know using the equipment to CAD operations, you know, they really expand that field, you know, for our folks as well. So yeah, and that's a, that's another thing. Yeah, I want to point out that concert does a good job is they show you the ladder, the career ladder for every every type of uh, employee that we have. Right. So if you're not a engineer per se, or you're you're a technician, it shows you exactly the grades where you can progress and, and what's achievable, you know, so it's, um, you know, transparent, you know, and you know exactly what you're, where you can go. Yeah. You know? I mean, the only thing that's holding you back is you, I mean, as a technician, I knew I didn't want to go to school. That's just not who I am. I can't sit there and listen to someone preach to me or something, but <laughs> Coming here at Consor, they, I, I was given opportunities that I would, never would have thought I would have had. I mean, like, oh, you want to learn computer-assisted drafting design? Have at it. Mm -hmm. uh, sonar applications. I mean, I've even done load ratings, which hard pass. I'm done with those. I'm, no, no, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, they, the opportunities are there, and the only thing stopping you is, is you. Yeah. Really. Are Are you a Are you a, a drone pilot too? Drone, Sprat, yeah. CAD. Yeah. Right. Kind of load rated, I mean, a little, yeah. little bit of everything. Do a little bunch of fun stuff. Yeah, I like to keep my mind busy. Yeah. Okay. And and so with that, do you think that because you're working for an engineering firm, you are able to be more easily exposed to all of those and gain those other skills? Yeah, 100%. I mean, most diving companies, you come in as an entry-level tender, you're, you're choking hose for years, it seems. Or you're, you're in the shop turning a wrench, you're getting greasy, like... You're a diver. That's what we hired you to do. That's what you're going to do. You're going to dive and you're going to do maintenance. You're going to choke hose. But coming over to the engineering side, there's so many more 
things like there's there's divers that in bridge, do bridge inspection and then there's bridge inspectors who dive and i think we get the best of both worlds we got a guy that comes in and he's like hey i just want to dive i want to be maintenance and you know i want to be the maintenance guru all right there's an avenue for that or you get a little bit of smarter guys like hey i want to learn how to do cad <laughs> you just threw your buddy under the bus yeah. there. What? <laughs> that guy who made the smarter guy. The smarter guy. <laughs> just like an idiot. <laughs> your hat's gonna get a little uh, right in the oral nasal there. Yeah. Okay. Let's not bring intelligence. In. I'm a trained monkey, just like the rest of us. Here, I was so. just gonna say we're all knuckle, <laughs> we're, we're all knuckle, knuckle draggers. draggers yeah. At stuff. the end of the day, oh, but yeah. the point being is like, yeah, if you, if you want to move forward and succeed, there is opportunity for that you don't get held back because you don't have a degree or you know stuff like that so there, there's room for advancement if if you seek it yeah and I, you know it's important for for me as a boss to my guys is i always ask them I'm like do you and are you enjoying what you're doing because as soon as you don't you got to tell me and then i'll change and find something that you really want to do right because i want people to come to work excited to do the work you know and i think what we do is cool you know if we have we have drones we have lidar drones now we got um scanners you know so much cool stuff to do like how can you not get excited about yeah. it yeah you know? it's like just so neat right that so. doesn't hurt with retention at all yeah. having that approach yeah. you know you're gonna keep your key personnel and your good folks mm-hmm. um so long as you keep checking in with them to make sure yeah. that that level of passion for what they're doing is still there still there so. right yeah, it's also a tough business, Phil, too, because I mean, it's like these guys work their ways way up, you know. Then you become the PE, and then all of a sudden you're the boss and leading dive teams. Now, maybe you're not that adept at lead dive teams, but you got the PE, so you have to, right? Is that kind of how it works at Consor a little bit, or do you guys are you subjective with uh, like who's leading some of these teams? Well, I think I think. Well, it's you always, know, a lot it's, of companies, it's, it's, it's a common sense approach where you, that engineer might be the competent person and be the leader from leading the team from from a technical perspective and an engineering perspective. But, you know, I've worked with PEs who um, sort of stepped out of the, the role of, of team leader because from a leadership perspective, you know, they... That's not where their their focus is, especially working for folks, you know, who come from out of state and don't necessarily know a lot of the state regulations specifically, like if you're dealing with, you know, roadside traffic and and a lot of the the ins and outs of specifically like LADOTD, OSHA and and their requirements. So a lot of guys will step step out of that role and and, and embrace the uh, uh, competent person role. Yeah, I know. I'm not trying to talk crap on engineers, but I mean that's but, kind of the nature of the beast here. Well, and, you know, and to tell a, you the truth, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get your EITs. You're trying to get them built up to PE, so that way you can check that damn box and run a three man or four man team or whatever you need to do and, to get the job done. And this speaks to just who is more competent in what area. So, I mean, I know in the military, from from a dive perspective. You know, maybe you're just an NCO, but you are the most qualified person from a diving standpoint. And I'm the diving officer, but I'm going to defer when it comes to all issues related to diving if you are the subject matter expert. Um, and I would assume that that holds true as well, at least at Consor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... 
the person leading the dive team is always the dive supervisor, right? I mean, hands down. It right. could be it could be me, or it could be Colt, or it could be somebody else, right? I mean, we, David we, Dodd, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. David Dodd. We really try the to have father. the Dodd father, the Dodd father. The Dodd father. <laughs> yes, uh, we we try to have two dive suits on every team, just because if we only have one soup, soup's not getting in the water. So if I'm the only dive soup and I'm running the team. And I have a guy who doesn't really know what's going on down there. I cannot get in the water to go verify, which is what needs to be done. So yeah, we try we try to have two dive suits on every team. And even if like the state re- doesn't require or requires a PE, if a PE is out there, we take that diving side of it off his hands so he can focus on the report and focus on the engineering side. So I think we share that very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we funnel all of our jobs through one guy, Deke Roberts. Uh, he runs our job board, but he does a very good job at at personal management to make sure that our teams that are going out have enough people to everybody be able to rotate because nobody likes the guy. They'd be like, I'm oh, sorry, I can't get in. Oh, dive gear? I, I didn't bring it. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, right, right. so I think we do a good job sharing all that. That always happens to be the cold days. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> right, right. I knew I forgot something. Yeah. Darn it. You know, it doesn't happen with union jobs, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm making 120 bucks an hour in California. No. I don't have a no. wetsuit, but put me in. But I'll go anyway, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So what I, I propose to do is I'd like each of you guys to kind of give some last comments and some thoughts um, with respect to engineering, diving, any messages that you want to get out. But prior to that, I'd like to make sure that um, Gary and Armando, do you guys have any more questions for Laura and Colton. <laughs> no, this has been a great conversation. Oh, it has. But I, I, so, if there are no other questions, um, you know, any any last messages you want to give out to the folks, um, especially that young diver, you know, that's just starting out, or that young kid that just graduated college, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to tell you how much I make, but it is pretty good um, being an engineer diver. I think there's less than a hundred people perhaps in the in the nation that are really doing it you know so it is a small community a niche community um it isn't hard to get into you know you just you have to be focused and driven um it's i mean it's not easy if it was easy there'd be a thousand people right so um right too much math but i mean for me i love it right i mean love salt probably solving problems um getting in the water getting wet swimming around i I love it right so um you know if you're excited about that yeah you know hit us up let us know if you have any questions and uh, we'll help you get there awesome awesome thank you colt what you got i mean the biggest thing i would think is uh, especially if you're thinking about getting into diving or you've already in diving don't let offshore deter you from other opportunities uh everybody in dive school talks crap on the inland diver but there's so many opportunities out there like i said i mean i'm a non-engineer and if you want to you can make good money doing this and it's consistent you don't have to worry about all the the hazing of offshore and you know the tender carries the gear and the diver buys the beer and all that the cast system yeah none of that I mean you come inland you're staying I don't know I mean some of that (laughs) I make make the tender hold my bottle (laughs) you know while I get my arm in there you got you got to test you got to test their metal a little bit bit. yeah but 
No, there's there's great opportunity inland, especially with engineering, especially through uh, DOT inspections and stuff. Like I said, it's federally mandated. It's recession proof. We're going to have a job. Doesn't matter what happens. Bridges have to be inspected. We have to ensure the safety of public, and that's not going to go away. So. Uh, if you're offshore or any, any of that, don't let it deter you. There's other opportunities out there. Awesome. Laura, what do you got? Um, well, I would, I mean, for the folks out there, whether you're engineer, trying to figure out if you go to dive school or divers, thinking about jumping into the engineer track, you know, it, it, it just goes back to sort of knowing who you are and knowing yourself, you know, just from my army experience, you know, I love the mix of being in the field and then the office work and that, that continues on forward. And then, you know, again, with that army background, having that purpose and that higher mission, because I live for the engineering work that we do. It's, it's good work. You know, I inspect the bridges that I drive over, you know, and the waterfront that, that we're using, you know, it's, it's important work for the public and you can look at what you've done and, and really be proud of, of that type of work, just keeping our infrastructure healthy and safe and, and our, and our public safe. So you don't have those accidents and issues. And, and the other part of engineering diving that we haven't talked about is I'd say one of the, the most important qualities is integrity because nobody is checking on what you're doing because they literally can, at least in the Mississippi, they cannot see the work you're doing. So you need to have that high level of integrity because what you're doing ties into making sure, you know, grandma can drive, drive over that bridge safely or that it'll survive during a disaster. Yeah. Keeping the public safe. Lives depend upon it. Yeah. Right. So I want to thank Akaika, Laura, Colt, for coming and thank Consor Engineers for coming and being on the downline. I also want to thank again Armando and Bottom Dwellers. And of course, I want to thank my partner in crime, Mr. Gary Jones of Broco, who is the marketing chair for the ADCI. Uh, and with that, yeah. we'll sign off and th we'll see you at episode number nine. Appreciate you having us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Phil. Gary. Mondo.